What good is a mighty skyscraper if you remove its foundation? Nothing. It all comes crumbling down. If you want to trust a service, there are certain pillars that just have to be set up right in order to deserve your trust. This is well known in the privacy space. And we often talk about whether something is open source or not as one of these pillars. And true, that is important. But what about business models? We never really talk about those, even though they are just as crucial. In today's episode, we welcome no other than the hated one who joins us to discuss business models. Why is it important? How can a service be financially sustainable? And out of Signal and Graphene OS, which one does a great job while the other is set up in a questionable manner, to say the least? Welcome to the behind the scenes of Safin, a for privacy company. We are ordinary people who fight mass surveillance because we love freedom, just like you. I am David, your host. Welcome to the journey. Welcome, the hated one. Great having you on the show. Yeah, it's great to be here too. I'm pretty excited for this topic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this important matter. Maybe you want to introduce yourself first? Well, if anyone doesn't know me, I'm the Hated One, a YouTube channel that is mostly focusing on covering open source, uh, corporations, and uh, privacy, security, anonymity tutorials, although I'm not a security professional. Uh, you should always you know, consult with experts, but I'm providing all of this um, information for free for people to just take the basic steps that they can protect themselves on the internet. And I just cover surveillance, privacy, uh, censorship, and um, free and open source software movement ideals in general. Yeah, I really dig your videos. They're really like helpful um, in the end. And yeah, I like what you do. So it's an honor thanks. to have you here. <laughs> yep, thanks. Same. So our today's talk is about business models and i just wanted to like set a baseline for everybody like one of my main points is software costs money so whenever you use an application or use software behind it sits a team usually or company or maybe it's a hobby project but we'll talk about all of this later but the big point is like development costs money nothing is for free and you have to invest a lot of time or money into maintaining and developing a project. And then there are like other types of costs associated with it and like distribution or operational costs like bandwidth. And like in the privacy scene, I feel there's this vibe of, we don't talk about that too much. Like what are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I really think that this topic is actually not talked enough at all. And it's a problem because since the Snowden leaks, open source became one of the biggest standards for people to find privacy alternatives, which basically meant that if a service was not open, if their code was not to be audited by the public, we should not trust it because they could ha install backdoors for the FBI, the NSA, or any other government agency out there in the world, however oppressive. So that became a standard, but then we 
uh, over the years began seeing many projects that have been open source, but they didn't really have a model that would allow them to scale in a sustainable way. And they were handling user data. And while still being open source, they would oftentimes sell out to some other companies that were not so much interesting in protecting user data. And that was horrible. And we are going to name some of these companies uh, today, hopefully, because, yeah. um, you know, when you are trusting a, even an open source app or a service, you're sort of putting your eggs into that service, your data eggs. And, um, you know, if, if, you, if that company sells out, all of your eggs are going to be sold out to whoever and they can do whatever they want with your data. So this is something that is, I think, um, at least as important as the open source uh, standard on its, on its own. Yeah, I, I do agree. It's like people only evaluate the current time and or the, like the, the current business. And we have to think about, the, yeah, well, is this sustainable? Will this be around in five years? Or if it will be around, will it have the same integrity? Because... Like there was this great post I recently read, which I'm happy to link in the show notes, about um, like how money dictates design decisions. And the quote goes, any company that doesn't have a business model yet actually has a business model. They just haven't said it out loud. And this was criticizing a lot of the like Silicon Valley venture capital funded um, software like Clubhouse or Twitter or Facebook or Medium and all of these, which just gain a lot of users by being free and not ever talking about the business model. But in, in reality, it's just that down, later down the road, they rely on surveillance and selling user data. And in the privacy realm, there's this trend as well where we just take the status quo and do not question it at all. And I feel this, yeah, we, we should change this mindset and talk about long term. Yeah, it definitely needs to be changed because we are not talking about the proverbial if you if it's free, you are the product. It's not always the case. You know, there have been plenty of free open source tools that have been at zero cost to consumer or end user for decades, and it's not an issue. The problem is that when you are trying to use a service and when you sign up for or subscribe for whatever app or service, you are actually making a bet because you're giving them your data and you're making a bet into the future that even though now they might seem benign, um, how, are gonna, how are they going to prove that in the future they're not going to turn against your best interest when it comes to your privacy? And hopefully we are going to be able to answer this question thoroughly so that people can actually take away some important um, lessons to learn from. Yeah, definitely. And there are many facets to this. And like, so many. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel, think it's kind of interesting or kind of important to, to realize that as soon as you have a team or as soon as your project becomes bigger and you have employees, like you need to create a legal entity. You have to take care of accounting, about back office, about all this legal stuff. And so... Yeah, just resources, it's, it becomes more resource intensive. And yeah, we will take a look at a lot of examples. But for now, there is, that's before we dive into it, I wanted to also inspect this one saying, which is kind of well known, which goes like this, if it's free, you're the product. 
And I feel there is some truth to it, but one can also interpret this the very wrong way. So if we take it literally. So what are your thoughts on this saying? Well, it's, it's just um, uh, too reductive. Uh, it doesn't, it, it doesn't um, explain how free and open source software exists. Because the ideal of free and open source software is not that it's zero cost to consumer. It's that the end user actually has these fundamental property rights uh, and ownership rights rather over the so software that they are using. So the developer cannot dictate how you are able or allowed to use your own uh, or, or the apps and services on your own devices. And that is the essential part that this um, proverb doesn't, doesn't really address at all. Uh, it is very useful when you evaluate private or even public companies or especially public companies that are traded with shareholders because if these companies are providing a free service they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to always increase their share prices or pay dividends or somehow return the value that these shareholders are investing into the company so if they if their service is completely free how are how are they making money that's the question that you should be asking but simply disregarding any service that is at zero cost to you would be would be also throwing away all of these amazing opportunities, amazing tools that we have right now with free and open source software that is actually a re revolutionizing the world and stepping up to the big tech, stepping up to the monopolies and even big governments. What, what do you think about this proverb actually? Yeah, I agree that it's like, it's very useful to draw attention to valid criticism about big tech and like a lot of other industries as well, or like tech, tech, the tech industry in general, it's which is dominated by data acquisition and data selling. Um, so it like data is the new oil. It's the oil of the twenty-first century, and data is power. So yeah. That, that's the good part, and obviously you cannot take it too literally just because there are um, services which do work where you do not pay anything or you pay what you want and you can pay zero. Um, but yeah, I, I think there are these cases. I, I took a look at the different Linux distributions, like Elementary is, is a big one, where they have a pay-what-you-want uh, model. So, and there you can literally just have this for free and you are not the product. So it can be very misleading, especially in, in the privacy and open source realm. But it's also important to say that it works the other way around. Just because you pay for something doesn't mean your data is secure. There are plenty of services and products out there that you pay for, even premium prices, but that doesn't mean that they are still not collecting as much data as they can and monetizing in whatever way they can. Yeah, absolutely. Like big tech has a lot of products or yeah um, upgrades where you pay for that, but they still gobble up all that data. <laughs> yeah, like you pay them. you pay for your Tesla, you pay a lot of money for a Tesla, but it's still collecting a lot of money. The same goes for Apple products. Yeah, that's a good example. And I know yeah. you've been uh, like investigating the Apple a bit more, which which I find is very cool as well. 
Yeah, and it's still under investigation. There are still more videos coming out about this topic. Yeah, we need to investigate. That's that's for sure. <laughs> and continue yeah. investigate. It's like, yeah, stay vigilant in, in all, all terms. Yeah, no, nothing triggers me more than false advertising. Yep. Um, <laughs> there are a few experts um, on that in big tech. Like, yeah, we, I could rant about this all day as well. Like, <laughs> also VPN companies as an example. There oh, are so yeah. many which have bullshit advertising. It's or misleading, yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, my God. Don't get me even started on those. <laughs> so, yeah, do you want to look at some specific examples? Yeah, I do. We need to look at some because uh, I think that's the best, best way to actually conceptualize this whole issue. Yeah, definitely. So I did uh, write down some of like Linux Mint as an example, where it just mm -hmm. like that is an example of if it's free, your the product does not apply. So they receive tons of donations. I checked up like in like at the end of April, they received ten thousand um, dollars this month alone. They have a lot of sponsors. They also have affiliations and partners. Mm -hmm. So they have like DuckDuckGo as the default search engine, and then they share revenue with them. So like you can install Linux Mint for free, but they respect your privacy and you're not the product. Yeah, exactly. Um, Linux Mint uh, and their founders have long been proponents of this phrase that it's your computer, not ours. So yeah. they, from the ground up, they've been always making these decisions that give the end user as much freedom and control as possible while building this beautiful, stable Linux distribution that is just amazing to use for both beginners and even pros. And um, they do have a business model because you know they don't necessarily need to struggle with uh, bandwidth or other scalability issues. The more people download Linux, the more donations they're going to have potentially. And um, um, they also sell some hardware, um, although that is probably not the primary source of their income. They sell something called Mint Box, I think, which is just a mini PC with Linux Mint pre-installed. And um, um, it's it's um, it's. Yeah, one of the main examples, like Linux, is one of the best examples of why this, if it's free or the product, doesn't apply at all. Yeah. And it's it's something that people should definitely be using because it gives them just so much more control than any other, you know, of, of these mainstream operating systems. And you touched a very important subject as well, is like what costs do they actually have? Like, and can, is it financially scalable in that sense? Since they develop the Linux dis, uh, distribution, and they have to, like, people download it, I guess it's from their site as well. But it's not that much, like, bandwidth which they have to cover. And that's basically it. And as soon as the user downloaded the uh, Linux Mint, he's good to go, or she. And, yeah, it's, it's not too much of extra cost having more users. They can scale endlessly and just rely on donations because the donation ratio will probably be the same so they can cover the additional costs pretty easily yeah yeah it's um it's pretty stable uh, so definitely like something like an operating system 
is is not necessarily an issue when it comes to um, your your data privacy or or the business models thereof. Mm -hmm. And then there are other companies where it's like a bit more tricky, and I, I'm not sure in, in in which one should we jump next. Uh, regarding Linux or other companies? Yeah, I think we we can move on to uh, to another uh, case study. Uh, do you want me to cover hobbyists? Yeah, let's let's jump into the hobby projects okay. which you mentioned. Okay. Well. Uh, one of the issues of, of um, all of these open source uh, uh, projects is that oftentimes they just start as just 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 a hobby of someone or just some friends or a group of people, and they do receive contributions from the community if they are big enough. But um, it's not necessarily the case that their product is going to be securing your data in the most sensible way, and in a lot of cases, these hobby projects they the persons behind them, they take personal responsibility for handling your data, which is actually not a good position for them, legally or financially speaking, and it's also not a good position for you as the end user because um, oftentimes they don't actually uh, give a privacy policy or even terms of service. So this is, I, I actually found some DNS providers, so you can actually encrypt your DNS, which is advisable. Um, but you know, if you choose a wrong DNS provider, you don't really help yourself too much. And one is blah DNS, it's blahdns.com. And their whole terms of service is just use it at, you, you use this at your own risk and there are no guarantees, nothing that you can actually expect from this service. And it's, it's basically just a disclaimer instead of a privacy policy or the terms of service. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's not a huge issue. It's not as massive as if it, if it, as if it was uh, like a messenger or something, but it's still, you know, it's not an ideal position. That doesn't mean that all hobby projects are bad, but they need to, they need to scale up. You know, they need to, be, they need to move their... Uh, their base a little bit higher to to better level of 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 uh, quality standards. Let's say, let's put it that way. Yeah, I believe a lot of hobby projects. I mean, when you compare it to plants, they're a small little plant, and that's fine. But oftentimes, if if it scales up, it usually crashes just because it's or well, how do you properly scale a hobby project? Well. Yeah, I mean, you, you you can do it. I mean, like Safing started out as a side project as well. It just is the question: Does the person behind it have the resources to then properly scale it up? Or, and oftentimes that is not the case, and then it gets shut down. Or, yeah, I mean, maintaining a DNS service will have um, will take time and should also be done regularly and what about security and all of that stuff so it is a much bigger risk since i believe it's easier to get hacked on that than on a like yeah on a company where where they tinker around with this like as their job yeah and uh, i actually found a messenger which is a, a much more important uh um you know, security uh, issue. 
because you know if you choose the wrong messenger they can potentially know what you're what you're talking about with the people that you love or just communicate in general and this one is siphon.org and um it's it's basically like matrix client matrix is solid there are no major issues there however um with their the, the the thing with matrix is that anyone can just build an app and have that to sell or just to, to give to end users that they can use to communicate with other matrix users and the problem with siphon that i found is that for both their privacy policy and their terms of service it's it's uh, it's just auto generated it's literally auto generated it has been you know <laughs> it has been um a little slightly you know um adjusted to include names like siphon etc but it's 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 a one man show it's a one man's project and um it might have some future community support but right now it's in pre alpha stage which actually luckily is uh properly disclosed when you're trying to install this app but um you should not put a lot of weight behind this uh until it becomes um you know a, a a real serious project with a proper structure behind it so that your your security and the security of your messaging is taken seriously yeah it's and yeah i do applaud like people getting behind hobby projects and starting out and everything starts out small so that is not in itself a uh, worrying matter. But when it is about like recommending stuff or building tools that everybody can use, obviously they, they need to buckle up a bit more and then commit more. But that's tricky because as soon as you commit more time, maybe you get some other people on board, but then you need to be a legal entity because you don't want to personally be liable when things go south. And... Yeah, it's it's just. I mean, it's it's cool that they disclosed it's the alpha stage. So I think, in that sense, they they did everything right. I yeah, I'm not calling anyone out here uh, yeah. so far, <laughs> but uh, so I, I'm 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 perfectly happy with all of these people trying to con con contribute to the free and open source movement and the privacy community. But what, as you said, if I would I, would I recommend any of these um, hobby projects to the people that I care about? Um, most likely not, unless uh, these hobby projects can actually prove that they are much more superior than um, other tools that we already have. Yeah. And I mean, when we look at it through the lens of business model and financial sustainability, I do believe like hobby projects can be hobby projects for several years. Like if you host your DNS server for these 500 people who seem to like it and you just dump the logs and all of that stuff and you just maintain it as a hobby and you invest like, I don't know, maybe 50 bucks each month. Like it's it's sustainable because you know what to invest and you know what the, your users get and that's it. And obviously, yeah. So from that aspect, it's, it's fine as well, I guess. Yeah, although it, it is possible that some some hobbies are just you know so well off and so rich that they can just um, they, they do have their hobby projects hobby project and they just want to throw as much money as they as they as they want or can and they don't really care about you know the costs they just um, count it as their own expense and they are fine with that and they can even make a really solid product that is very good for security 
but in terms of like maybe five, 10 years, um, it, it might not be the case that that project will stay there because they're probably not going to be funding that project forever, even if they're pretty well off. So um, a business model is important no matter who is behind the project. It is important to make it sustainable so that we can actually make that bet with our data you know, going into the future. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Adblock um, Plus, I think. I think that started out as a hobby project as well. And I'm kind of always confused if it's like Adblock or Adblock Plus. But one of them sold out and like introduced the acceptable ads scheme, which basically just meant like whoever pays them gets considered an acceptable ad and gets whitelisted. And I think, like, but that that's the same thing where it's like no really real business model. I think it was a hobby project at first, then it's got scaled up. And then it was like distribution was seamless because everybody just downloaded it as a browser extension. I didn't don't think the developer had to pay anything for that. And then they suddenly sat at a huge trove of user data or like or on a lot of PCs and could decide which ads could got displayed and which not. And then they decided to cash in. So, yeah, even in that case, business models matter. <laughs> yeah, there's actually one funny extension when you mentioned them. It's called Sponsor Block, and I don't recommend anyone to use it because now you're going to be not just blocking my ads, but also my sponsor segments, which I don't have, but it, <laughs> it even blocks self-promotion. So something like social media, Patreon, or donations, it blocks those. And I do use donations, so please don't use Sponsor Block. But <laughs> Sponsor Block is open source, and I think it has been in integrated into MicroG. And what the person behind Sponsor Block is doing is that they are releasing uh, emails and offers that they are getting from these marketing firms that want to monetize this extension by, you know, accepting their data, the data of Sponsor Block users. And in return, they can give these user, this developer of sponsor block, some money, and it is pretty cool. It is pretty funny, but you know, if if they decided to accept one of those offers, you would probably not know. That's terrifying. I I think that you would not necessarily know because from, um they would not necessarily have to disclose that immediately to you. And it could be weeks, months before you would find out that your browser history was being sold through this extension. Yeah, and that's kind of... That, that's, that kind of pinpoints to the whole root problem, where it's like, okay, yeah, this is turned, probably started as a hobby project as, or a side project as well, turned out to become pretty big. And now suddenly a person in control is tempted with a lot of money and who's to say that they will not accept at some point. And if they just would have like built a structure to be for it to be uh, financially scalable and sustainable, then it would be far easier to say no. Yeah, the main point of this is that if you have to trust the developer's words or the owner's words, that they will be honest and benign and they will not turn your your data to data brokers, advertisers, or monetize you in, in this way, um, it's you're already in a bad bad position. This is not ideal that you, that you want to trust a company with your data. That's not something that you want to do if you care about your privacy. Yeah. Hmm. 
Do you, yeah, I think we can move on and jump into yeah, sure. the big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let, let's talk about Signal. Okay, do you want to start? Yeah, so Signal. Um, great Messenger received a lot of criticism in the last month, and I think we will talk about this as well because, as I see it, it has also a lot to do with their business model or lack thereof. And... Yeah, I mean, we can start off with the basics, like it's Signal is a non-profit, it's a foundation, but they have a subsidiary called Signal Messenger uh, LLC, so that's a limited company. And so far, they have been donation-based, like that was their claim, and Brian Acton, one of the co-founders, also in January 2021, he said that their business model is donations and grants. And now we have all this like story with mobile coin and maybe yeah you want to give your thoughts or like what how would you introduce it well i would i would introduce your thoughts yeah yeah i would go about it more chronologically because when you go to the signal.org website you will actually find one of the old laura poitras's um quotes about signal which is signal is the most scalable encryption tool we have and you know, she made this comment like at the very beginning of Signal when it was just moving away for, or transitioning away from Tech Secure. And I think it was back in like 2015, maybe-ish. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at the time it was, it, it might have been true because Signal was actually removing itself, like the developers and the foundation was removing itself from your data. So they did not store your messages. It was not possible to, to make backups of your messages at all. Um, at that time, it was also impossible to to move your your messages from you know one device into another. It was really very simplistic, very bare. It was using Amazon servers, but um, even they even limited the the metadata that they were using to transfer the messages, and they were it was designed so that as little data was as possible was was being handled with through Signal servers. Uh, which is awesome. It really does sound like, well, this app can scale even if it's for free because as long as there are going to be users donating, they're going to be able to cover their server costs and bandwidth costs and all these, are, uh, all these other costs that come with handling a messenger. But it turns out not to be the case because um, they are not very profitable. They are not making any money at all. Uh, and uh, it, it really is a problem for an app that is starting to have dozens of millions, potentially hundreds of millions of users. And um, Signal is is now currently um, experimenting with this mobile coin, which on the surface sounds great because it's based on Monero and Monero is the only privacy coin, at least for me. It's truly anonymous, which sounds awesome. But the problem is that Monero is just basic permissionless blockchain you can mine it you can decentralize it it is it is solidly decentralized and signal decided to remove that decentralization make it a per permissioned blockchain which means you cannot mine mobile coin you cannot make it more decentralized by running your own node signal has the way signal you know approves transactions is through validators and these validators, they have to be approved by Signal. 
and they have to use expensive Intel's SGX, which is Software Guard Extension Chip. And, uh, at, you know, at this point, like, this is starting to really break everything that is known about blockchain-based crypto or privacy crypto when it comes to that. And um, some security experts um, just raised their eyebrows uh, looking at this and saying, why would you merge a very clean, just very... Um, a straightforward messaging app that is secure and private with a, a payment system that is going to attract governments, agencies, and commissions all around the world, inspecting it, investigating it from the FCC, FTC, SEC, FBI. They're all <laughs> going to be looking at it and they're all going to be trying to get as much data as they can Right now, you know, signal uh, this mobile coin is not available in the United States for these reasons. But um, you know, uh, if you are if you're developing a messaging app, then and you are then trading into crypto, yeah, you are. It's, it's yeah, it's no, it's no longer just it, it's no longer just uh, messaging data that you are handling. It's financial data, and financial data is regulated much more heavily. It requires much, much more government oversight and the, the ability of government agencies to look into the data of these users. I don't know what the hell is going on with this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very odd. And you're right that like a lot of strings come attached with implementing such a feature. And I find it interesting. But, but before we go into the mobile coin... Um, Let's call it issue. Um, I, I want to like highlight the business model or lack thereof of Signal, and they started out with a fifty million loan, like quote unquote loan. I it's more or less uh, just pumped into it with no no intent of it ever being um, paid back. Mm-hmm. So it's like I think it's a fifty year runtime with zero percent interest, and then Brian Acton pumped another 50 million into it in 2018. So mm-hmm. that's how they started out. And that, that's fine, I guess. And then they say, yeah, it's donations and grants and they have bigger, bigger donors who donate regularly and all of that stuff. But the issue with such a service is like, it's very expensive. If you have millions of users um, texting one another, that's okay. But then add images if you have like a group of 10 people and you share an image of five megabytes, suddenly they have to cover 50 megabytes of bandwidth. And that's happening like so often. And then with like they added voice calling, um, video calling, and now group video calling. And these are all super cool features. And I do appreciate these features. I use Signal myself, but it's expensive. And especially if you scaled things up as Signal is doing, and that is kind of cool, but yeah, how do they make cash? And it, it's it's like, I, I'm, I'm honestly not surprised that they came up with this mobile coin thingy. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that they need an alternative path to creating money to be financially sustainable. And that is kind of, what triggers me with this whole discussion is that that you could have predicted this pretty easily. Um, yeah, actually, 
you're you're right there because all of these features they are expensive and are they really necessary to deliver just a clean messaging app and even like a video calling app that would be awesome that is secure and end-to-end -end encrypted we need to have an app like that but if we are adding all of these features that are not all that necessary to have a secure messaging platform then why go there like um you know signal um some time ago like a few years ago introduced this pin feature where you would protect your sim card with a pin but also it would serve to encrypt your metadata and send it to signal servers to backup so that if you lose access to your device you can always recover your con contacts and settings sounds awesome right your messages are still still not there that's cool but um it's it, it just increases the amount of data that signal needs to handle and they need to hold on their servers and they just decided to make this feature the default it's not something that users can just opt in do you want your your um settings and contacts to be uploaded to signal servers no it's happening by default and this it, it's it's just a, such a horrible decision from a strategic perspective if you want to make a scalable solution that that is going to be sustainable going forward if you just want to rely on user donations because what they are doing is that they are increasing their costs so so much significantly more than they are increasing their donations and i think since like you mentioned that brian acton donation of 50 million i i don't really think that signal has ever been in in net profit um and that is something that is you know if 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 you, if if all we can have to have a secure messaging platform is to have an app that is always going to be losing money then we cannot put a lot of trust in that app and it really pains me because i've been loving this app and i've been recommending it to my friends and i've been trying to transition um people i care about to to use signal but it's just not a long term solution it's it's just not yeah it's i i feel it's it also is like it has the attitude of the valley um which is like okay you have to scale 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 and we will care about monetization later and i mean that's their sugar coating of yeah we will sell user data in the end that's kind of like what's what happened with whatsapp and what happened with medium or twitter or you can name like and it's the same with clubhouse which has gotten a lot of traction recently they just like scale 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 and in the end they cash out on user data so what bums me out is like signal seems to have the same attitude in terms of okay we have to scale otherwise i don't know a comp competitor might be become bigger than us and oh my god that would be like super the, the worst because i mean with messengers it, it is kind of hard because <laughs> they are not interoperable operatable but my point is if you decide to prioritize scaling and overall you cannot ignore the business side of it because the the lesser runway you have like if you if you if there's 100 million loan or investment from Brian Acton would easily cover years and years of a few million users 
writing text messages. But then when you scale things up and add video messaging, uh, video calling and group video calling, that runway will shrink. It's, it's natural. And the same thing when you explode like they did in early 2021 now, where they got like almost, they, they doubled their user base pretty much in, in a month or something, like 10 uh, millions and millions of users signed up and downloaded Signal. And that will shrink their runway by the half again. And now they are like under time, they are under pressure time-wise and they have to figure something out. And then they will evaluate shady options as well. And that leads us to the mobile coin issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, like technologically speaking, like Signal is solid. Like it has audits, it's open source, and its encryption is very uh, like like the top notch when it comes to messengers. It's um, yeah. It's it's one of the best. It's the the issue is not like that Signal would somehow weaken its encryption. That's not the issue. But but encryption is not all there is to privacy. Like your metadata is being somehow handled and. Just, be, just when Signal is introducing all of these new things, and especially the mobile coin, that's introducing like a like whole new array of, of how people interact with each other financially that Signal is now going to be in control of. And they are refusing to give, a, give up this control in a way that, that will be decentralized. They are, they are going to give these Signal proof validators the option to to transact uh, to, to to validate transactions on the network on the mobile coin network like if you are not into crypto what this basically means is that signal just created or implemented integrated with a cryptocurrency that will be able to censor or you know um, um ban your transactions they will be able to surveil your transactions it will not be a privacy or an anonymous coin and um, that basically defeats the whole purpose of having like a permissionless, um, like free and open source crypt blockchain based cryptocurrency. It, yeah. yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's so I feel this ties into the same attitude of not 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 being willing to let go of maybe not becoming the ultimate monopoly in one realm or the other. I mean, they could also uh, work on a protocol which, yeah, w w where you could send messages from one messenger to the other or build something similar like Matrix. And as you said, they, they are not willing to do this and let go uh, to, to enable the decentralized system, but they want to have it centralized. And I feel that's the same with uh, cryptocurrency now. Yeah, Signal is deliberately making decisions year after year where they they basically hold their users hostage and they force their users to trust signal to trust their developers founders and owners that they will be always handling your data in your best interest that this is not what a smart privacy solution should look like a a proper and long-term privacy solution should remove the owners of the app or the developers of the app from your uh, data. They should be removed from the equation. You should not have to trust yeah. them. You should not have to rely on their word that, yeah, we will not change our privacy policy in the future because they will when the occasion arises. 
And the best option is just to is just to be able to have a decentralized platform that gives you that freedom. Like privacy is not end all be all of everything. You need to have a level of freedom. And unfortunately, and this is true, Signal has sacrificed all of these freedoms of end users to make an app that is user friendly, that is secure, but now they're introducing all of these new features and it's a problem and they are making deals with these third parties, with validators, with... Actually, Signal doesn't even disclose who, who they receive their donations from. So there could be some millionaires coming to Signal and say, hey, we'll give you 500 million <laughs> or something like that if you do X and maybe Signal will do X. Um, yeah, it's it's strategically speaking, Signal is a very very short term short term solution, and right now it'd actually be way overdue. Yeah, I th they like a company or a nonprofit or whatever they they as Signal and also as Safing, we have a responsibility to remove ourselves from the equation, as you said, and that that implies like first of all you need to be financially scalable. Because let's be honest, it just costs a lot of money to develop stuff, and that's okay. And like, it's okay to make money to develop things. That's that's totally fine and legit. And maybe you need even extra money to for a bandwidth such as Signal. But in the end, it is our responsibility to be be financially scalable and remove ourselves from the equation it it because otherwise you just have like one one king who rules them all and like in 5 years time or in 10 years time maybe the king will die and somebody else takes over and then you have a dictator and you have all the powers and it's we are exactly fighting to prevent such an outcome where we say no we don't want governments to have like total control of all of their citizens and knowing everything about them without having to reveal anything about themselves. Because even if the, we trust the governments today or some governments, it might not be the case in 10 years or 20 years. And then a dictator might come along and yeah, then we're in a bad spot. And the same goes for companies. Yeah, and um, I am even more cynical than you are. I would say that you should not have to trust anyone right now because um, people are flawed, systems are not perfect, and governments are definitely going to be abusing their power. Individuals working for the governments are going to be abusing their power. So the further you can remove yourselves from being abused by those that are higher up in the hierarchy, the, the, better, the better position you build for yourself. And the fact that Signal could have made better decisions, but they just decided not to, is deeply troubling to me. You know, Facebook, what, uh, Facebook Signal was approached by Matrix. For those who don't know, Matrix is this decentralized, open-source, privacy-centric um, messaging protocol that anyone can use. It's basically like email, which is decentralized. You know, anyone can use email. You don't have to use Gmail. You can actually set up your own email address at your own home server or choose whatever domain you want to with any provider in the world. The same thing is the case with Signal, well, sorry, with Matrix, but with messengers. But Signal is refusing to collaborate with Matrix and make Signal interoperable with the Matrix ecosystem of 
hundreds of apps and maybe thousands of thousands of servers all around the world because as you said before they just want to scale they just want to have more users they don't care about this sustainability they don't care about this very important long-term solution that will give users not just right now but even 20 years going forward or not just in the United States or in the Western world, but everywhere in whatever uh, dystopian regime they are living in, and you know, like if 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 Signal just accepted this opportunity to remove themselves from the equation of trust and decentralize it with the Matrix protocol, we wouldn't have this discussion today because it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't matter what decisions uh, um, or, or who is making donations to Signal or how they are making money because we would always be able to move away from Signal.org, the central organization behind Signal, and we could still be communicating with other Signal users or uh, use because we would be able to use the Matrix protocol. But Signal yeah, is refusing... server. I'm sorry? We could just switch the server. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's the simple way of saying that. Yeah. And that'll be, that'll be the... the uh, the the perfect solution for every everyone, and uh, we don't have that freedom, and it might not be convenient at all times to be looking up which server is the right one for you, but at least you have that choice. At least you have that freedom. When it comes to it, you can actually make it more secure for yourself and those you care about. But Signal just doesn't give you that choice, and that choice absolutely matters, and it's frustrating to see that they are just completely refusing to go that path and they are instead choosing this whole other different path that is is just it's just laughably uh tragic yeah yeah it's it's kind of disheartening to see that they're like tightly yeah they they have a tight grip on their kingdom and want to build their kingdom and not let go and this opens up the path for questionable things like yeah but what is the alternative if you want to have full control then you have to find some funding and i thought it was interesting when we talk about mobile coin like the ceo joshua goldbart he recently um, posted on hacker news and he gave a few reasons of why why he started this all uh, all out uh, and one of the reasons he said i started mobile coin to fund signal so it's like okay they have an ally now and this is all venture backed by the way so yeah typical venture capitalism pumping millions into this and the end goal is to fund signal so signal has this ally to because they need money that is obvious um, because they're not willing to let go so yeah now <laughs> give it a, f- a few more years and it will probably be a bit of a disaster. Um, precisely, because MobileCoin is a separate entity from Signal.org or Signal Foundation or the Signal Messenger LLC. They are yeah. their own corporation. And as you said, they, are, they have raised uh, millions. Actually, I know that from two v- venture capital firms, they've raised $11.35 million, which is a lot of money. And now you have to say, well, Signal Messenger, it's no longer a nonprofit. It's also a venture capital. 
and it's also a private company. And it makes this situation so much more complicated. And um, like it, it's it's not something that you want to have if you want to recommend like a sustainable privacy centric solution to the mainstream surveillance apps. And right now, if I, if somebody asks me, well, why do you recommend Signal? And if I have to be honest, I, I cannot just tell them that, well, because of these good things in the cryptography sphere, I also have to disclose the negatives behind their, their money-making strategy, because that is something that a lot of the times they're going to ask, well, if iMessage is for free, and if WhatsApp is for free, and Facebook is for free, and Signal is for free, what's the difference? How are they making money? And I have to tell them, well, they raised a couple million dollars from venture capital to run their <laughs> cryptocurrency project to monetize their customers, and nobody know, knows how, how this all, all is going to turn out when people are going to need to be filing their IRS uh, tax uh, statements every year because they've been using cryptocurrency through a messaging app. This is, <laughs> this is, this is everything that's, that's going in the opposite direction of a privacy and, or private and secure messenger. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's like, and officially, of course, they are like separate entities, but the affiliation and in practice, it's 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 a like tight connection. Yeah, and the connections are very tight, and it's it's extremely shady. Their connections have not been disclosed beforehand and or properly before they implemented yeah. them. Even this, even like compromise their open source strategy because this mobile coin project has not been opened until it was released out of. Some beta version, I think. I'm not entirely yeah, it was sure. Like, it was hidden for a year or something. Yeah, yeah. Which is, well, you already established another precedence. You are not no longer fully open source. Now you're going to introduce proprietary code that we are not going to be able to audit and see, and you're going to hold it secret for we don't know how long. And then you make it open source, but retrospectively, our messages could have been compromised. You could have built backdooring there and we might not have known until several months or years later this is just a bad strategy it's bad leadership what are you doing yeah it's really a bad precedent as well as like because like trust is built over years and can be lost over on a day and like who's who is to say that like in 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 one or two years suddenly something else will pop out which you have kept secret for over a year yeah that's like yeah, and, and even, like, I get it. Everybody makes mistakes and all of that. And as, as it became clear and as they became open about it, they were still dodging a lot of questions. Like um, Joshua Goldberg, the CEO of MobileCoin, dodged a lot of the questions, the affiliations or financial affiliations with Moxie as the technical advisor of MobileCoin. If he has any financial ties to this or not, it is unclear so they are still not transparent. So they are not like, and that's, yeah, that's a big part of why people are upset is because they kept it hidden. And now that it's seen the light of day, they are still trying to hide parts of it. Yeah, and, it's just, yeah. It, it really proves that you can have strong and very solid cryptography that is open and has been 
validated by the community of cybersecurity researchers. You can have your app open source and it can be a nonprofit, but at the end of the day, it, it almost doesn't even matter because if you don't have a proper business model, proper way to sustain your, your living, you're not going to keep this promise forever. At some point, you are going to break it and it's happening right now. And yeah, <laughs> yeah go, I, go ahead. I, I wouldn't go as long to say that it doesn't matter. It's just a typical point of like a chain breaks at its weakest link. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. And mo like business model is part of this chain. And sadly, we see entities fall or being corrupted. Or I mean, I wouldn't call Signal, I wouldn't describe them as corrupted at the moment. I mean, questionable, yes, or worrisome, yes, but I'm just saying like the weakest link and we should we should care about this as well. We should care about business models. I would go a little bit further than you because I'm really disappointed. And I think that it is very unjust that Signal is getting all of this praise, all of this attention from the media. Everyone is loving it. They are getting, you know, Elon Musk tweets about Signal and all of a sudden they 10x their user base or whatever. Yeah. But this is this is unfair and unjust because we have all these other projects that are trying to build a real long-term solutions for people that that do actually need to have that choice. They cannot just rely on a central authority to decide what level of privacy is good for them because some people need a much higher level of privacy than what Signal offers. And these projects like Briar, like Matrix, they are out there and there are people contributing to them, but they get nowhere near as much spotlight as Signal does simply because Signal has managed to attract this Silicon Valley level of attention. It's sort of like, like a Hollywood, Hollywood project. It's it, it, like everybody's talking about it. And yeah. it's like all of these other projects that are that in the long run could be much more superior than Signal is, even on the cryptography, even on the, the, the very technical terms, they get no attention at all. And it's just this, we, we just, again, we have this networking effect where people are starting to realize the value of privacy. So they don't want to give up their data to Apple and Facebook and Google. So they use Signal. And after all of those, those conversions and transitions, it's still the same. It's, it's not, I'm, I'm not saying that they are just as bad as Facebook right now, but they might be in the future. And just the possibility of, of that future being there is something that makes me not want to recommend Signal to anyone anymore. Yeah, it's, it's like the path has started to be a bit questionable, or not even a bit, it's, it's like a lot. And even though this is like on a smaller scale, it doesn't give me confidence that they will like make the right call when it comes to bigger decisions and more important decisions. Like, yeah, you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. You, you, I do. Yeah. You, you walk the talk in the small things and then also in the big things. And if, if you stumble in the small things, I have no confidence that you will keep straight when it comes to big shots. Exactly. And I think 
Again, I would go further than you. I think these are big things. I think the decisions that Signal has made so far, yeah. they are big. Refusing to cooperate with Matrix, that's big. That's yes, very big to me. That's true. And um, introducing this this shit coin into their into their <laughs> ecosystem, holding their users hostage, that's a massively terrible decision. And um, yeah, I, and neglect, neglecting the business model for so long. Yeah. Just being so stubborn about scaling, all of this. Scaling, yeah. scaling, yeah, it's it, they're, they're, these are big things. You're right. And for for me, I if I cannot trust Signal into future into the future, I cannot trust them now. And um, it, I, I used to say as you know, trying to give people advice on how they can choose their messenger. There are plenty of messengers that offer end-to-end -end encryption, which is awesome. You know, um, even Facebook is offering end-to-end -end encryption. WhatsApp has been end-to-end -end encrypted. iMessage has been sort of end-to-end -end encrypted. And I would say end-to-end -end encryption is not enough. You need to have protection of your metadata. And that's what I would say back then. Signal used to be doing better because Signal would remove, your, remove itself from your metadata. They would not be handling your metadata. They would remove as much as possible. And they would even write their pro protocol in a way where It'll be with a sealed sender so that the sender information is not uh, on the envelope, which is awesome. All these things are awesome. And that's what made them really so, so much more superior than any other messenger or privacy and open source messenger out there. But right now, they are really jeopardizing their own position. And I like, like all that the Signal has right now is their end-to-end -end encrypted messaging protocol for the messages. But increasingly, their metadata is being more and more compromised. First, it was with their pin feature, which was enabled by default. And um, okay, it is encrypted, but it's encrypted with user pin. And that can be brute forced. So it's not totally secure. And then it's introducing this mobile coin, which is going to introduce a whole another level yeah. of financial metadata. So what's going to be next? Also, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't. Yeah, there's so much, so many strings attached to this mobile coin, as you also said, like regulation and financial data. This is oh my like god, they're gonna eat it liability. Alive. Yeah, that's that's gonna be tough. But yeah, I think <laughs> we've made our points about Signal pretty clear. I mean, we could go on. <laughs> yeah, the, the last thing that I'll say is that I think mm -hmm. Telegram has burned like $400 million trying to make their cryptocurrency project work and the SEC, SEC just killed it <laughs> because that's what they do. Um, yeah, so I, I really wonder what, what Signal is going to pull off to make sure that it works. And <laughs> I, if, if it works, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so sure that it's going to be so privacy-centric as they, as they claim it, it will be. Yeah, it's it's a really tough ta uh, job to to tackle, like implementing. Yeah, can payments I, into the messenger. Yeah. Can I curse on this show? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, fuck signal. <laughs> so that's your stance now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm still yeah. using it I, uh, because I I've been convincing all of my friends and and people I care about, even though I have no friends, to transition to signal <laughs> and. And now they are finally there, and now I'm gonna yeah, say. Yeah, you also have a video which is kind of big. 
yeah, and I'm sta topic. starting to feel pretty embarrassed because I made this video about Signal being so awesome, and then it was before actually they introduced mobile coin. So, yeah. um, what the hell? <laughs> I think the main thing I want to get out of this is to like know how to better evaluate companies in the future. Yeah. And yeah, so this this is. Yeah, a precarious situation, and I, I, I know I'm, I'm disappointed as well. Like I'll be honest, I, I still use Signal. I, I like the messenger. It's, it's so easy to convince friends because you just say it's like WhatsApp, and then it's the whole thing with the phone number verification, and like they get that already. So it's an easy transition, yeah. much easier than other apps like Threema, as an example. Um, which creates an anonymous ID and people get confused by that. And then when they switch phone, they don't make a backup. And yeah, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm disappointed too. That's, that's my point. Yeah. And uh, I'm the kind of person that if, if I see a project that is better, I'm just going to move there. I'm not, I'm not going to stay with Signal. So Signal has already lost my trust and I don't really think that they are going to reverse all of the their their bad decisions that have they have made in the past few years, and I think they're just going to continue on this path until they become not too dis distinguishable from the rest of the Silicon Valley or the big tech or whatever. So I'm already um, going to transition into just Matrix most likely. Yeah, it's yeah you you're a product of your environment partially at least and it's i i'm also disheartened by the affiliation with mobile coin and that's just a venture funded venture and yeah but yeah <laughs> maybe maybe we should leave it at that and continue with other disheartening stories <laughs> nothing is as, as disheartening as signal at least right now <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, there was this outrage uh, when I jumped to the next company with Keybase. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we can keep this one a lot shorter. Um, but Keybase was also kind of the messenger and also a like, service where you could validate different uh, cryptography keys from other people. And they got bought out by Zoom. I think that was now in 2020. Yeah, probably a year ago. And yeah, that's kind of a similar story there where they didn't have a business model from the get-go. And I, I, I didn't look up. Do you know if they were, uh, were venture-funded as well? Do you know that? I, I, I don't know much about Keybase because I have never really understood why we should all support this project. And yeah. now that it, they just sold a publicly traded corporation with the most horrible privacy and security track record we have ever seen, we have ever seen since <laughs> Facebook. Are you kidding me? What the hell? And the, the, I know that Keybase used to be recommended on privacytools.io, which is one of the you know most prominent um, privacy software or service um, recommendation sources. Yeah. And what the hell? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, they they were con like highly considered, considered highly or regarded highly, and 
in the end, it was just a um, talent acquisition. So Zoom had these huge problems with security and privacy as COVID struck the world. And they fucked up on so many levels. It was just like every day a new Zoom um, yeah, nightmare oh, yeah. story came out. Yeah. Yeah, like horrible leaks and all of that. Uh, what's it called? Zoom storming or something like that? Or, or Zoom bombing, I think. Yeah, yeah. Zoom bombing. Yeah, it was just a... Yeah, Zoom was a perfect example of everything horrible that we have been talking about so far. Like, they've been so obsessed with expansion, with with just scaling up their user base, with just getting more and more users, that they were willing to sacrifice everything, everything, security, privacy of their users, all of that for the sake of expansion. And why? Because their shareholder value have skyrocketed throughout the coronavirus pandemic. So that, that like... For, like, I'm I'm trying to look at this from the perspective of of the Keybase developers. If they were developing a privacy alternative, where did they leave their soul <laughs> when they decided to be acquired to accept acquisition of Zoom? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, that's that's on uh, like that's the responsibility of the founders, and then again, like. If you don't have a business model as a company and you have a limited set of finances and at one point you know, hey, it's either we shut down or we sell out to investors. And I like Zoom, they probably offered a lot of money. So you don't make any money. And again, that's like like a, a shitty situation to be in because then it's far harder to turn down such a lucrative deal. So if they were offered millions, so they sold their company, maybe they even had clauses, but that's, uh, yeah, that's a topic for another day. And But the, for the developers, I guess, it was like, hey, we got acquired now and they want us to fix the most urgent issues. And then it's like, okay, maybe you thought this was like a temporary thing. So, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll help out like improving the security and privacy for hundreds of millions of users, I think it's natural to say yes to such a job. Um, but I don't think that they, like, yeah, it started out, out as a side job or like a temporary job and now it's been permanent. <laughs> no, I, I don't buy this. This is, this is just, no, this is corporate. That's one explanation I have. No, no, they, they knew what they were going into. You don't have to sell your company to help that company, another company improve the security of their data. You could easily contract this work. It, you know, it does like the, this idea that, oh, well, we sold out so that we could improve the security of hundreds no, of no, millions. No, I, I mean, I was talking about, like, I was differentiating okay. the founders and the developers and, like, the employees. Right, but they can all suck so a the dick. Founders, because the founders, the founders, they sold out. For sure. But I, I wouldn't be too harsh about the developers because they did a day job and then they did a day job somewhere else. Well, okay, well, I've been, I've been talking about, like, key-based developers as key-based as an organization, as, 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 like, a whole unit. I wasn't talking about this as, uh, on an individual level. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, 
If, if I was a developer in, a, in such a company, I would become a whistleblower and I would tell everyone, leave Keybase, they're about to sell to Zoom. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, like, this, this just proves that you cannot trust anyone. You should, you should not use a service that requires your trust. That's just, that's just the new standard that we should establish. <laughs> but that's not uh, possible in the way you describe it. Well, for like, me, trust. it is. Yeah. I mean, where does trust start and where does it end? Like, as an example, we all use computers and we all use hardware. And who says that we can trust the hardware? But we kind of assume or we are okay with it and we trust it to some extent. No, no, that's... The way you think about it is with Richard Stallman's statement on cloud. There is no cloud, only other people's computers. So as soon as you have to go to the cloud, you're going into someone else's computer. That's what I'm talking about trust. Because whenever that happens, you have to trust them. You have to trust whoever has access to the computer. Yeah. And that can be anyone, anyone. And that is something that should not be acceptable. You know, we, that it, should be, it should be a new standard where you don't have to go through that, through that question at all. And something like, for example, Tor, uh, which is a little bit off topic, but Tor, is designed in a way that you don't have to trust it because no single node is um, knowledgeable of the entire traffic. And yes, there can be malicious nodes, but then Tor restarts your, your, your Tor circuits and generate a new one every few minutes, and they do it for every network request. And that is something that makes Tor a trustless, a trustless, trust, trustless system. You don't have to trust yeah. it to use it. That's what I'm saying when I say okay. you don't have, you should not trust a service if you want to use it. Yeah, I think on that level I totally agree. Like on a software level or a service level, that should be the case, and that is also what we are, um, like what we are working on at Safing with the SPN, which is yeah. a like VPN Tor kind of merger, where we will not be uh, the entity who knows everything. We will only know parts of the equation. And that's good. And that should be that way. Yeah, another, um, another way to think about trust is uh, like, it's not just with your data, it's also with, with uh, access. So um, with blockchain cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, off topic as well, but relevant to answer this question is um, yeah. like, you don't have to trust any central authority to make transactions. You can have your own wallet and you can have your own coins stored there. You don't have to trust any bank government, whoever, your transactions are going to be accepted regardless of who you are or where you are as soon as you can connect to the network. That is the same thing. And with, with, with all these other services that we are talking about here, you know, a proper long-term solution has to eliminate permission and trust from the equation of uh, should, the, should the end user actually use it. Yeah. I mean, the, the Bitcoin is, is beautiful in that regard that anybody can create and transfer um, like money or Bitcoin. Um, obviously, it has the side effect that everybody can view like the transaction history. So it's not private, but it is permissionless. But because it is open source, another project like Monero has solved this problem. Yeah, and other projects have solved other problems, and that's why we need this. We need to have, we need to have the these layers of standards where it is open source. We know how it makes money, 
and we don't have to ask for permission, we don't have to trust, and we need to have these these layers so that, and they, they all need to be there, not, and so that, so that users can actually have this peace of mind that they are using a service, they are using an app that is not going to be compromising their data today or at any point in the future. Yeah, we, we have to inspect every link in the chain. Exactly. And we, I think we will get to that as well, um, like to, to define what we feel are the most important chains, uh, links in the chain. Yeah. But I just didn't, didn't want to fanboy too much about Bitcoin because it has a lot of issues as well. Yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> but as you said, yeah. it's I'm not a fan open source either. Yeah. and then yeah. other like better alternatives can emerge from it. Yeah. Um, Maybe should we hop into a, a positive example where I think that, that they, they got the business model right, which is graphene. Oh, I almost forgot. <laughs> I was like, you would have to remind me because I'm, I'm lost in this abyss of, <laughs> of terror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I didn't want to only talk about the negative ones. I mean, obviously it's, yeah, it's disappointing and infuriating and all that stuff, but there are projects which think about these things and i feel graphene does a good job with this yeah graphene os has actually a pretty similar position to linux distributions not all linux distributions are good for your privacy but a lot of them are and what graphene os is doing is basically uh it's um an android open source project based um operating system so it's not it's not necessarily like a custom rom or anything Graphene OS is its own operating system because it is developing so much more than just the basic Android. It has a lot of security features and it, like one of the things that would make you worried about um, your security um, when you install like a third-party operating system on your phone would be, well, they are going to be installing updates on my phone, right? So how is that going to work? And the way it works is that Graphene OS actually doesn't have any access to your device identifiers or anything like that. Your Graphene OS updates are based on your IP address and you can easily obfuscate it with a VPN or a Tor, even better. And that is going to make it impossible for Graphene OS, even if it was malicious or even if it was compromised, to target your device and collect your data or compromise it in any way whatsoever through this update process. So. Daniel McKay, I think, has, has showed great leadership. He's showed that he's really thinking about this thoroughly from all the perspectives that, that can be, you know, properly implemented right now with what is available. And th there are almost no issues when it comes to trusting Gra Graphene OS or using Graphene OS. Yeah, they, they really figured out the security and privacy aspects. And I, like... I switched uh, over a year ago and before I had a normal Android and it's it just gives me so much peace of mind using this phone. <laughs> yeah. Like knowing like there is no Google on here and the apps which I download I can just deny them internet access and it's so comforting. <laughs> um, it is, yeah, it is very comforting. Yeah. So they distribute this operating system. I also looked like it's around one gigabyte, which needs to be downloaded if you install and if you update. And that happens like once a month. And they are donation-based. 
they list eight developers on GitHub. So they have, yeah, uh, I guess a fair amount of costs just su sustaining their income. But it does work and it is financially scalable in the sense of even if you scale this up tenfold or 100-fold, their costs will not go up as much because bandwidth, like in this, I think it's like if we... Do you need about one user in a hundred to donate every once in a while for it to be sustainable from a distribution a bandwidth perspective? So, yeah, it seems to work. And obviously, like, there are other costs as well. There are legal costs, bookkeeping and accounting and all that. That's the normal things, which is um, kind of sad is their legal struggle or legal battle with Copperhead. I hope that that case gets resolved at some point. But that is like extra costs, which probably put them under pressure as well. Yeah, but that's that's something that is not the fault of Graphene OS. It's something that's unpredictable. You don't you don't always know how people are going to react from all the other venues. And um, I would just say that um, Graphene OS is amazingly solid, and it's it's the only way I would ever be able to use a smartphone. And it has enabled me to use a smartphone because before I have not been using a smartphone, and. As you said, it does give me peace of mind that, you know, I can use this as a proper mobile phone and I can text, chat, um, call, video call with people and I don't have to be worried about my data leaving my device. And uh, the fact that, you know, it doesn't really matter how many people install Graphene OS, if it's millions, if it's tens of millions or billions, it's still going to be able to scale. And... What I'm going to be doing in the future and, and what everyone should be doing is we should be promoting this project, we should be helping this project because it's all part of us. You know, we are using it, we want to make it make sure that it works. This sort of sounds like an ad for Graphene OS, <laughs> but um, it's um, Graphene OS has, like Daniel McKay has developed um, many other apps for Graphene OS that just make it so much more secure. And he went out of his way to make it so that it's more secure. The sandboxing is more secure. The the um, attestation service is there to verify your the, the authenticity and security of your device after you install it. Um, the constant security updates. You always get the latest version of Android, always, and for as long as the device is actually supported by Android, by by Google. So that's usually like three and a half years. Um, like, um. And and actually, uh, Daniel McKay has has went an extra step to make sure that Google is not connected in any way, shape, or form with Graphene OS, with the project or uh, with the um, operating system itself, which is awesome, because Google would love to have control over every smartphone on the planet, which is why they are releasing all of these apps like Gmail, Google Maps, whatever. But Graphene yeah. OS doesn't have that, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I'm very pleased with Graphene as well. As you said, it gives me peace of mind. And actually, yeah, I, it's like as you make the ad and say like it's part of us and all of that stuff, it's actually also like 
Yeah, maybe I should become one of the 100. Just a thought. Yeah, everybody, um, everybody should donate to Graphene OS. It, this, yeah. is, this is a matter of of uh, of national security. This is uh, if you're if you're a patriot, you need to donate. I don't care where you're from. If you're a patriot, you need to donate <laughs> to Graphene OS. Make sure make, make sure that it, that it works. Well, for me, it's about personal security and privacy, and that that already is enough. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You should, you should. Well, there are some yeah. people who are who are gonna say they don't care, but you're gonna be made to care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we've been rambling along and ranting and praising the good, and I'd like to like wrap up and inspect, like go into the last section where we talk about, okay, we know now business model is an important link in the chain and we should definitely talk about this more and think about this and think about like sustainability and financial scalability. Mm -hmm. And, but overall, how, how do we best evaluate companies? Um, well, I think um, I, I just briefly touched up on it uh, before yeah. Uh, there are just these, I would call them layers. Maybe you would call them chains in the link or links in the chain. <laughs> we can call them layers or facets or aspects. Yeah. I don't know. Or pillars. It doesn't really matter. You, you, pillars. You, Ooh, that's yeah. a good one. Okay. Well, you like that. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what I would say that you need to have them all if you, if you, if you want to really have the most ideal, secure and private solution for you right now and into the future. And one of them has to be that the design is trustless, that the developers are actually removed from your data. Actively, they do this and they uh, made, it sh made, made sure that not just like they don't have access to your data, but also as they are making money and as they are developing the project, that they are not going to introduce third parties, investors, shareholders, into the equation of your data. So they need to have a strategy, which would be another layer uh, where they have a sustainable business model, which is a very difficult question to answer, but it is an important one. And Yeah, and should not be ignored as yeah. so many entities do. In general, the more third parties there are involved in a company, which includes shareholders, um, venture capitalists, investors, uh, and even donations when it comes to Signal, like secret donations, that doesn't sound that great. Um, the more red flags should be raised. It's, it's not ideal. The business model should be something that the company, that gives company more independence, not less. Yeah, I feel, I feel like when you talk about donations, it's also about transparency. Like if, if you disclose who is donating, then yeah, but, but like having donors behind closed doors, it's like, what's the difference to an, to an investor then? Yeah. But yeah, and about the trustless design and removing yourself from the equation, I feel it's like the, the developers or the company has to show willingness to do so. And maybe they aren't there yet. And that's like when we are launching the SPN or scaling it up, um, we will not have community nodes right from the start, but they will be added. So 
yeah, if we don't add them, then please call us out. <laughs> that's that's yeah. So I, I'm like sometimes you need to bridge the gap from like the current system to the ideal system, and sometimes it's a like a migration. So I just wanted to mention that as well. So a successful um, trustless design in practice would mean that even if the owners and the developers are malicious or compromised, it's, it doesn't matter because they don't have access to your data. That's what a successful trustless design means. And um, another layer that needs to be added to this is that it, it, it really has to be open source. And this has been established a couple of years ago, but still many, many people are arguing that it doesn't matter, that it, does, it doesn't inherently make a project more trustworthy or more secure. That's true, it's not inherently more secure or more private, but it is a necessary prerequisite if you want to bet that your data is going to be safe in the future. Well, it also is the only possibility for others to like review and audit the code as well. I mean, obviously you can pay companies for audits, but so it isn't inherently more secure, but as you grow, as the project grows, more and more eyeballs will glance over the code and it is much more likely that a good person will then disclose uh, a security vulnerability. So it's not a guarantee that open source is inherently good. It surely has security issues as well, but only by having it open, others can help improve and make it better and make it more secure. Because yeah. when, it's, when it's closed, when it's proprietary, it's only going to be um, the only factor is going to be, okay, how much does management or does the board decide to invest into security? And that's it. If they cap it at like 5% of their revenue, they reinvest into, or not even revenue, or their gains maybe, they pay for that. And like that, that's what happened with Zoom. They, they didn't invest into security at all. And then all of this shit happened. And so, yeah, it should be open source. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So it, it has to be open source and it has to have a sustainable business model and uh, it has to be open source. But also, I think that it's, it's, it has been established pretty thoroughly that it also has to be decentralized, which means that the, the licensing that they are using has to give end users and third parties the ability to use the service, use the app without the original owners or authors or developers' permission. It just has to be that way. It has to be completely permissionless and completely decentralized. Um, any, anything other than that is just a short-term quick fix that is going to be just not, not functioning in a couple of years into the future and we're going to be at the same um, point where we, where we started with. We just spun in a circle once. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, and obviously, like, these are, these are hard criteria. And they are, yeah. Also, like, the legal aspect is, for me, a very, very important one, where it's about the jurisdiction. And can I trust this product if it is in America, or in the U United States, of America or in Australia. And I'm very suspicious when their jurisdiction is there. 
just yeah. because of how their laws work and how their government can enforce corporations, can subpoena them and force them to introduce factors without being public about it. Or in Australia's case, even force an employee to introduce yeah. a factor. That's crazy. That's that, that, that yeah. Fucked that up. It, yeah, that's that's so authoritarian and it's so so dystopian that just I I cannot even believe that a democracy would accept this. Like aren't people going to the streets for this? Like this is how like people are so much removed from what's happening in the digital realm that all of these horrible horrible laws are being um uh, implemented in many countries like the United Kingdom, the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the Five Eyes. And they are resembling authoritarian regimes like China, Russia, Iran more and more. And it also matters. That's another layer along the other ones that we have listed so far, where jurisdiction actually does matter. And there are a couple of jurisdictions. Some of them are, well, many of them are actually in Europe that do care about um, privacy in general. Their population is really privacy-centric. I think Switzerland and Germany are maybe the ones that, that can actually, that actually have the, the strongest privacy track record in, in Europe. Maybe Sweden, I don't know. Sweden, not so much. Yeah, Sweden, not so much. But Germany and, and Switzerland, I think they are pretty good. And Austria, don't forget. Austria. Us from Austria. We are also Germanic. Okay, well... <laughs> Well, Swedish people are also Germanic, no? Yeah, that's true. But like, okay. the Austrians, like we still speak German. Okay. Or like we speak our dialect, okay. and like we are based in Austria, so that's that's why right. we we are like the small brother of Germany. So okay. we often get overlooked, and that's that that hits okay. our ego, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But um, I've been pretty surprised to learn that, for example, in Germany, people are still using cash simply because they don't want to be surveilled by uh, credit card and, and yeah. payment processors and their banks, which is awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, we do enjoy our cash. And yeah. also, like, Schrems is from Austria. So the Schrems case is against Facebook. He's Austrian. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just flexing some Austrian patronism. <laughs> okay. All right. No, but that, as you said, it totally matters. Jurisdiction is an important part. And it's. I think that is more important in the short term because the long term should always be that even a company should be, like as you said, if, if the company can, it should move towards a trustless design where even if the government becomes malicious and therefore forces the company to become malicious or introduce a backdoor or whatever, yeah. it wouldn't matter. This, this is why Tor is so successful um, as a project of anonymity because, um, you know, the government can force node operators to log the data and turn over data to, uh, that they have. But the way that Tor, again, is designed is that it's not very useful. This, data, this kind of data is not going to be detrimental to reveal uh, every Tor user's identity and their browsing records or their Tor uh, activity. So... Uh, it has to be just a lot, a lot more has to be done to compromise tour. And that's what makes it so much so tra trustworthy because you don't have to trust it. It's, it's just a model that needs to be implemented by all these other projects and, and um, um, companies and organizations that are developing these privacy, quote unquote, privacy alternatives and solutions. Yeah. And 
as as I said, these these are like hard requirement, like hard criteria, or it's hard to achieve everything. And obviously, there are a lot of people working on it. And I feel like the privacy scene is it is they, we are conscious about open source. <clears throat> we are all often conscious about the trustless design and the protocols behind it and all of that. We talk about the legal aspect a bit, but we do not talk about the financial scalability. And yeah, that's that's my wish that we do that more. Yeah, we definitely have to. And I'm going to be making some content on this specific topic, probably make um, a couple of videos on this because um, it is something that's probably the hardest thing to understand if you if you need to research whether a company or a project is good to trust or not. Um, but if we lay out some standards like we just did, um, maybe that can be helpful to people. And yeah, uh, if they see, so. well, this company is, is a publicly traded corporation, so obviously if they promise my to protect my privacy today, they're not going to do so when the quarterly earnings are going to require that. So, yeah, we are... We're going to be working on these standards and make sure that they are something that can be sufficiently used to pick and choose which products are good for your privacy and which ones aren't. Definitely. There's a lot of to explore. And me as a founder, like there is also this whole aspect of venture capital and all of these legal clauses which you can stumble into. And then even even if you own 90% of the company, you're forced to sell out, which is, it sounds ridiculous, but this is, this is the case. And yeah, I, I do understand that it's not easy to grasp. So, but yeah, hopefully this is helpful. And thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, I think that what you are doing is pretty cool. And I'm really looking forward for this project to succeed and uh even if you turn evil i want this project to to not be evil <laughs> so <laughs> we're working on removing ourselves from the equation yes yeah, that'll be good that's so what for. yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when, when you do when you do uh maybe i will mention mention saving on my on my channel but uh for now i'm very happy to be here on this podcast and um, i wish you good luck with your project and um i generally um, hope that what we have done here for the people <laughs> listening to this is going to be helpful for them and uh, we can we can maybe maybe even stir up some conversation in the broader community um, where people are gonna talk about this issue of business models more yeah i i do want to talk uh, write a <clears throat> blog post about it and then share it around and yeah, thanks for your words. Thanks for being on the show. It was an honor. It was a pleasure. Then have a good one. And yeah. oh, yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> if you thanks. made it so far, you're amazing. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining. Did you know that in today's world, you're only four connections away from anyone on this planet? be it Edward Snowden, a local corrupt politician, or your favorite celebrity. So if you tell two of your friends about safing, in no time, a million people, including Snow White, will get easy and free privacy. Aside from that, 
You can always support us by using Podmaster, rating our podcast, or giving us a star on GitHub. Anyway, I hope you have a good one, and remember, don't go on the internet naked. Thank you.